Amen. Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, we'll start at the last verse of chapter 1, so uh, verse 22 there of chapter 1, which is a bit of a summary of all of chapter 1 and and leads us to the next stage of the story, Ruth chapter 2. So Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, give your attention to God's holy word, inspired, inerrant, infallible, perfect to accomplish God's purposes. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's give our attention to its reading. Ruth 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went in the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. 
Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those who are visiting with us, we went through the book of Judges the past several months, and that was a quite an adventure, and the beginning of Ruth tells us that it happens during the time of the judges, and so we wanted to take a few extra weeks and go through this account, this account of the book of Ruth. There's a lot of unrest in our nation right now, and continues to rock various cities uh, across the United States, and hopefully you've had some time in recent weeks and months to reflect upon the meaning of what it has meant historically to live in the United States as a home and to to notice really how much God has blessed us throughout the centuries. When I was growing up, you'd turn on the world news after the local news. This is back when we used to watch this thing called the news at night. And the world news would come on after the local news. And I remember you'd always see a lot of rioting in the streets on the world news and people throwing rocks and... uh, bombs going off in various buildings and all kinds of rioting. But it was always something, it was, it was other parts of the world that would have that as part of their reality. Far-flung nations, not so much anymore. But it has caused me to reflect on the fact of how, how much blessing we have had to know that, that that's not really been a part of our experience for, for many, many years and even decades. It was the German chancellor Otto von Bismarck, who said, God has a special providence for fools, for drunkards, and the United States of America. If you look at human history, particularly over the past couple of centuries, you realize either the United States has won the lottery about a thousand times in a row, or it simply was part of God's plan, for better or for worse, to bring our nation to kind of a a leadership position in the world. Just one example Uh, Just hours before Mexico signed over the land of California to the United States, I think it was the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, if I have my my history correct, just hours before that treaty was signed, there were massive gold reserves that were discovered in California. Uh, But being that information traveled much slower back then, the uh, Mexican government wasn't able to get word of that before they put that treaty into effect. And if they had known the amount of gold that was in California, they never would have given California away for the price that they did. And of course, the amount of gold in California ended up catapulting the economy of the United States to a leadership position in the world, one of the the biggest tipping points that empowered the United States as a nation. And that kind of thing happened uh, dozens, even hundreds of times. It just seemed like God in his providence, and is clear, God in his providence wanted all of this 
to happen. And that makes it sad, of course, in the day that we live, we're sort of destroying uh, many of the things that we have known through self-loathing and, and other things. But isn't it true that providential blessings, if you reflect upon providence, not just uh, national providence, but providence in your life, how God leads and directs, if you reflect upon that rightly, that your heart should be filled with gratitude if you are a child of God, if you know God in Jesus Christ. And isn't it true that a heart filled with gratitude is a heart that is going to take joy in working and serving as someone who has been given that which they did not deserve? Gratitude changes a lot of things, doesn't it? My challenge for us today is to see that providential hand of God in our lives. To look at your life. And to realize that nothing that has happened to you has happened to you by luck or by chance. And then to combine that truth with the truth that God has shed his grace upon you. If you know God in Jesus Christ. That he weaves history together to bring people to a place where they can see their need for a savior. They can place their trust in Christ. And they are changed. And they go forward in service to God. So a heart that realizes all of those things is a heart that's filled with gratitude for grace. You may call it providential gratitude. It's gratitude that exists in light of God's providence. So first, as we look at Ruth chapter 2, let's consider uh, the word or the concept of luck. Getting lucky. As we have read uh, chapter 1, we have expected this to be a story about Naomi. It's been about her family. She lost her husband, Elimelech. She lost her two sons. One of her daughters-in-law has stayed with her, but chapter one sort of unfolds, and we expect the story to to have Naomi at the center. It was nice that Ruth came back to Bethlehem with her, but we don't expect her to be in the center of the story. But that's exactly what happens in chapter two. The focus shifts uh, onto Ruth, the Moabitess, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. They're in need of food, sustenance, and provision. So Ruth runs this idea by Naomi. Allow me to go out and try and see if I can work in a field and and glean. It was the time of the barley harvest. And so let me go see if I can find blessing from someone who will let me work in their field. What Ruth is speaking about here is something that God had commanded from his people. Farmers with land were not to harvest around the edges of their property. They were to leave that for those less fortunate. And it was really a wonderful provision of God. And one of the things we read, and we say this is the kind of society that God was building in Old Testament Israel. It tells us something about the wonderful provision of God. But we should think at least that this is, this is in the time of the judges again. Now think back to our, our many weeks long journey through judges. Should we expect that all or even most of the farmers during the time of the judges would have been faithful to obey this command of God? Well, no. It was a time of great immorality. It was a time of great rebellion in the land of Israel. So we we should not expect that that all or even most farmers in Israel were uh, abiding by this practice to, to not harvest around the edges of their fields. But Ruth doesn't go to any farmer's field, does she? She finds the field of Boaz. And here is where we have one of the biggest signals as to what the book of Ruth is about. 
It's about the providential hand of God that weaves history together so that he can pour out his grace upon people, upon sinners. Verse 3 of Ruth 2, in our translation, it says, As it turned out, now that's, that's fine as, as it goes, you know, it just so happened, or by chance something occurred, but if we wanted to be a little bit more literal in the translation of that verse, we might translate it something like this. Ruth's chance chanced upon her ending up in Boaz's field. So it it uses chance almost as a verb and a noun, emphasizing the the happenstance nature of of what's going on. If we were to smooth out the language a little bit and try to make it a little more uh, understandable or a a little smoother, we might say something, as luck would have it, she got lucky and went to Boaz's field. Or even better, as luck would have it, she lucked out and went to Boaz's field. Now, of course, the narrator is being completely ironic here. He doesn't believe this is luck. He doesn't believe this is chance. And neither should we. Kids, we don't believe in luck, do we? we? We don't believe in luck. Nothing that happens to us happens because of chance. It all happens as part of God's will. So the narrator is causing us to see an irony here. And thereby keep in our minds the emphasis that God is guiding all of these events. God is at work weaving these events together. When the story ends, we will see how one thing leads to another. In chapter 1, you had these these three women. It's it's almost a a pathetic scene in the wilderness. Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And they're crying and they're weeping. They've been brought to this terrible place. All the men in their lives have died. They have no chance of, of living a normal life anymore. Any chance of stability seems gone. No one's paying attention to them in, in the wilderness, and they could have gone their separate ways at that point, and that really would have been the end of it. Now Ruth has gone from that moment. She decides to stick with Naomi. Now all of a sudden, things are beginning to turn and to change. Is that by luck, or is it by God's hand? Well, of course, it's by God's hand. The narrator of Ruth is operating by something called providential history, reading the events of the past as a sign of God's working. This used to be really the way history textbooks were written or even history was done in general. It was a sign of God's work throughout the ages. Everything was a sign of God being at work. People who live by this will conclude if something happens to them, let's say someone has a near-death experience, and their life is spared, they would conclude, well, God must not be finished with me yet, or God must have some greater purpose for me. Winston Churchill was famous for emphasizing this throughout his life. I think he had about three or four near-death experiences when he was growing up, and really all of them, you would have looked at it and said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have survived that moment. But he did survive, and he emphasized that God had some purpose for him, and in the scope of human history, that's absolutely true. One of the most important figures of the 20th century. Martin Luther gives himself to the ministry, to the priesthood, after uh, he felt his life was in danger in a, in, a, in a storm. And of course, going forward in his life, the greater purpose that God had appointed for him was starting a reformation that the church needed so badly. The point of all of this, providential history, is a challenge to see all of the events of our lives as evidence of God's working and to be able to see all of those things 
as a way to uh, cause us to trust more deeply in God, to love Him more, to have a greater desire to serve Him. How do you know that God is at work in your life? Because you're here, because He's given you another day. How do you know He's not finished with you? Because you are yet living. Here, Ruth finds herself in exactly the right field at exactly the right time to meet exactly the right man so that God would shed his grace upon her. There is no luck involved. So, God weaves things together and then, here's our second idea, now grace goes to work. God weaves history together and now grace goes to work. Providence guides people to places where he makes his grace become real to them in time and in space. For Ruth, God's grace will become known to her through Boaz, a man of the Lord, a man of God. We see that that covenantal name of God, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it shows up in Ruth chapter 2 much more than we see it all throughout the book of Judges. This is a man who speaks of the Lord. He greets his servants. There's almost this, this kind of liturgy that's going on in the fields of Boaz. The Lord be with you. And his servants called, the Lord also be with you. This is a man who has ordered his house in light of the God of Israel. Good doctrine and a virtuous life. Those things go together. Boaz notices Ruth. He says, to whom does that young woman belong? That's really just his way of finding out the backstory of Ruth. He's not assuming that she is a slave or a servant. He's wanting to know about her family connections. And, and this is a bit of a sign that through that, through Boaz's respect of the family connection, this is how God is going to bring, bring great blessing. Later on in chapter 2, Naomi says, he is a kinsman redeemer. And we can't unpack that idea today. We'll do that later in Ruth. But because of Boaz's concern for the family connections and the good man that he is, um, we are led on to have hope in that moment. Who is this woman? Of what family is she? To whom does she belong? She's a Moabitess, but she's come with Naomi, he learns. The immediate action that Boaz takes is remarkable in many ways. But it surprises Ruth the most because she says, why why are you so kind to me? I'm not an Israelite. I'm not from this land. I'm not of your people. Boaz is a picture of grace. In a sense, we're all from Moab. We're sinners. And the fact that God, holy and righteous and exalted, would shed his grace on sinners and and call them to himself and, and bring us into his family and give us a seat at his table and throw a robe of blessing upon us and clothe us with the righteousness of his son, And say that we're co-heirs with his son. All of that is the astounding picture of grace. So Boaz is that picture of grace to Ruth. There's that that idea, the Old Testament word chesed. All of the positive attributes of God. Love, mercy, covenant faithfulness, kindness. Boaz is that picture to Ruth. Just as Ruth was that picture to Naomi in chapter 1. He promises her at least three things. All of which Ruth needs badly. Provision. Don't go to any other field. This is the field where you will find all that you need. If you get thirsty, go to the well and take from the well. You have food, you have drink, I will provide for you. Don't bother going anywhere else. 
He says, why don't you stick with my servant girls? This is, uh, Ruth is a, a woman who would have been wandering around alone. What does this give her? A sense of belonging, a sense of identity. Here's, here's a group that you can be a part of. Pro- provision, belong, belonging, and then protection. Ruth would have been particularly exposed as a Moabitess that a man could come along and realize this isn't even someone who is part of our people. She could have been placed in, in a situation where she could have been abused, misused, mistreated in a number of ways. He says, I've told my men not to touch you. Provision, belonging, protection. That's what God gives to us in his grace. I'll provide for you. Don't go anywhere else. In my presence, there is fullness of joy. The end of Psalm 16. We find everything that we need in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to go anywhere else because in him we find all that we need. He gives us a sense of belonging, to be a part of his kingdom, a greater purpose, a people to which we can attach ourselves, where we find love and care and fellowship and protection. He's our king. He reigns over us. He reigns over the earth. He will subdue all of his and our enemies. He will conquer all things. He says, nothing will happen to you that will ultimately destroy you. I have you. I have you in my providential hand. This is the picture of grace that we see. The rest of the chapter unfolds. Boaz continues to show kindness to Ruth. It's no wonder in light of all of those things. What does she do? She bows down before Boaz. The heart that has been struck with true gratitude in light of grace. Something you did not deserve. Which is the exact picture of a sinner who realizes that Christ saves and God saves in Jesus Christ. Gratitude. Providence. Working with grace. We see it even how it begins to affect Naomi. Remember she's filled with bitterness in chapter 1. God has made me bitter, blames God for her circumstances. But now, as Ruth comes back and she speaks of this wonderful kindness, this wonderful grace, she said, uh, Naomi says, may the Lord bless him. so, So worship is filling her heart as well. It gives us hope that all of this is turning around. Perhaps the God who works wonders will work a wonder in this family. What does all this mean for us? The first thing so striking about this part of Ruth is the emphasis on God's providence, right? As it turned out, she found herself in the field of Boaz. Well, that's of course not by luck. It's not by chance. God is at work. And one thing that we all need to do is to begin to read our own lives that way. Your life is providential history. And if you know God in Jesus Christ, you can see all the events of your life. God weaving all of those things together to bring you to a place where you know Christ, you love Christ, you want to serve Him. And to say, God is working out His purposes in me. I did this a a bit of of an exercise this week to see not only my own life, but what led up to my life as, as a human being. My mother's grandfather was an orphan, and he was adopted by 
an Irish farming family. He was an Irish kid. He was adopted by this family. Their last name was Salmons. This family adopted him not so that they could bring him in to be a part of his family, but so that they could get an extra set of hands around the farm. They weren't nice to him. He was not treated well, much more a slave than a son. He wasn't allowed to eat with the family. In fact, as we've been told, he was forced to stand in the room and watch the family eat. This was a, a young man who was living life as a servant. But he was given a chance at life. He may not have survived if that family had not have adopted him. And instead of being bitter, uh, he went forward, married my great-grandmother, and started his own family line. Right? Sort of took all the things that had happened to him. It wasn't going to be filled with bitterness. Rather, was filled with gratitude. The Lord blessed them with a wonderful fam- family. And reflecting on that and thinking about that, that a family that probably could never, might never have been, Otherwise, God wove all that together to then start this new clan that would worship God in Jesus Christ and all my relatives who, who know the Lord. See, they intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. We all have stories like that. Maybe many of us have had uh, experiences where you look back and you say, you know what, I, I could have died there. I may not have survived. Maybe we have close family members who have that same kind of experience. And that's uh, proof that God was not finished with us, with you, with whomever was involved. The the point is, if I don't allow that to move me to gratitude, my whole family sprung forth from that story, that would be the greatest mistake of all. You don't realize, if you don't realize that every day is a gift, if you don't realize that you have someone to thank, if you don't realize that you ought to use the investment that God has made in you for his kingdom, That would be the greatest mistake of all. Shakespeare says in King Lear, Oh, how sharper than a serpent's tooth is ingratitude. Don't forget whom you have to thank. And then go a step further, not just to see God's providence, weaving all of those things together, but that God weaves things together so that he might shed his grace upon sinners. If you know God in Jesus Christ, that's the ultimate The ultimate reason why you ought to thank him. He has saved me. He has called me to himself. He has worked in all of those situations to make me see that unless I have Christ, I have nothing. Unless I have Christ, I will not have the blessedness of knowing God in eternity. If you know God in Jesus Christ, that is why your heart ought to be filled with gratitude. Because he weaves it all together and then he sheds his grace on you. If you don't know God in Jesus Christ. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord. Perhaps God has brought you to this moment right here. So that today might be the day of salvation. Perhaps every moment in your life has brought you to this place. God has woven it together so that you would realize if you do not have Christ, you do not have anything. So if you've never, if you've never looked upon the Son and believed, then I say to you, you ought to do that today. So you look at your life, it's providential history. God is always in control. Nothing happens to us by chance. That can be a joyous thing to reflect on, that can be a very difficult and painful thing to reflect on. 
as we think about the difficult and painful things in our lives. But if we realize that God is weaving all of those things together to shed his grace on us, to save us, to redeem us, to refine us, and to prepare us for the next life, we can do nothing but be filled with gratitude, filled with gratitude and a desire to serve him and glorify him all our days. Let's pray. God, great God, you lead us and guide us. You weave all things together for our good. and We know that we have needed your grace in our life. And so we pray, Father, that as we reflect upon all of these things, that you would cause us to, to look at our own life, lives as providential history. And then to see grace and how you have saved us. And to be astounded at your power and your ability to be in control of all things. To call your people to yourself. Those whom you appointed to eternal life. That you then work out your purposes each and every moment. We are so grateful. We're grateful for those who have gone before us. And for those now part of the church triumphant. Those whom we will miss so dearly in the coming weeks and months and years. We're thankful that you weaved all things together in their life. That you saved them. We're thankful that they're in the presence of their Savior now. And the joy that they feel is greater than we could ever imagine, ever conceive of in this life. Hasten our hearts unto that day. That until you call us, we might be found trusting in Christ, walking by the Spirit, living for you in your glory. Amen. Respond together today by singing number 463, He leadeth me.